Our Bible reading today is from John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in the Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. Uh, on, going on to 27. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You'll find uh, a sermon outline in the notes you would have received at the door. But as we uh, dive in, why don't we pray? Lord, we do ask this morning as we turn to understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity, uh, glorious with you, the Father, the Son, uh, he reigns over all. Lord, we pray that he would be active in our hearts and minds this morning, that we might understand, uh, that we might love you more and rejoice in the gift uh, that he is to us. And we pray this in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Now, we have been working through a series uh, looking at uh, the foundations for growing in grace. And I, I challenged you a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, and if you weren't, I'm going to challenge you this morning, that as we make New Year's resolutions, that you might make a resolution that your number one goal for 2020 is that you look back on the year and say, this year, I have grown in my relationship with God. I love him more, I know more of him, I serve him more faithfully in my life, that we grow up in our relationship with God. 
not just because it's the best life, and it is, but because it was actually the life that we were made for. One of my favourite theologians, Augustine, I've given you this quote before, I'll give it to you again. Uh, A 4th century African wrote this. He said, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. What we crave in this world is only found in relationship with him. And as we know him better, we will know the rest that comes through Christ. We've been working through uh, four foundations, and today we're on to number three, which is this. We're going to talk about uh, the fact that we have this assurance that we are not alone. God has not left us, as Jesus said, as orphans, but has given us the Holy Spirit. Four points, they're there on your outline. Number one, the story so far. Number two, is our third foundation, not alone. Number three, some implications of that. And number four, how do we craft a well-founded life? What does it look like to live with this foundation firmly under our feet? I'm going to move pretty fast through the first one because it's a bit of a recap. And if you want uh, more detail, you'll find the other sermons on the website. So you can go there and find those. But I think it's important that we do recap because these things, they are essentially together. Now, the first thing I need to say is the bedrock of our faith is the gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about the historical events The fact that Jesus of Nazareth walked amongst us, was born in a shed in Bethlehem, lived and died and rose again. That is the gospel, that Jesus Christ did this. That is the good news. It is historical event and it is done. And one of the things about it that we need to stress is that whenever the Bible starts to talk about its implications the key thing that it stresses is that it is for us. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 tells us that Christ died for our sins. He didn't just die incidentally. He did it for us. And this fact, this truth, this gospel is the foundation upon which we must build. No matter what Uh, else we might build upon Uh, if it doesn't have the gospel underneath it will not stand no matter how impressive a structure that we build unless it is there founded into the gospel it will not stand that's number one what else well if that's an event that happened 2,000 years ago how does it come to us now well the bible uses an idea, talks about union with Christ. It tells us that we as believers, we who have put our trust, our faith in God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are united to him in faith, by faith. And it's kind of like, let me give you an illustration. It's kind of like being in an aeroplane. 
Now, uh, it's one of the bad dad jokes that I make. Whenever someone's going to say, I'm just about to catch a flight, uh, I tell them to flap hard, you know. Uh, They're flying to Sydney. We don't do it, do we? Like, it's not funny. No one laughed. So um, anyway, maybe I should stop it. Uh, Maybe not. Uh, That's the point about dad jokes. They're not meant to be funny. They're just meant to annoy your children. Um, But what happens to the plane, because you are in the plane, happens to you. You don't do anything other than be in the plane. And if the plane flies you from here to Auckland, you go to Auckland because the plane went to Auckland. And the Bible tells us it's the same with our union with Christ. We are in Christ. So when Christ died, the Bible tells us that we died. When Christ was raised, the Bible tells us that we were raised. When Christ reigns on high the bible tells us that we are with him if you want to look at this further passages like galatians 2 ephesians 2 colossians 3 the start thereof it's all there we are united to christ by faith so the work that he did on the gospel comes to us okay let's keep moving i think we're going fairly well so far no one's fallen off the chair that's good The first foundation that I stressed a couple of weeks ago is the foundation that says you are accepted. That through the death and resurrection of Christ, through his perfect finished work, we are accepted before God. Now the technical frame for this, technical word for this is justification by faith. Let me give you an illustration that shows how this kind of works when we come and put our faith in christ the bible tells us that christ suffered and died for our sins so it's kind of like when two people get married okay and and the old vows i don't know if it's there so much in the new vows used to say something along the lines of all that i am and all that i have i give to you And so if you imagine a marriage between Jesus and us and we say to him and he says to us, all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. So what what does uh, so so there we are, Jesus and us. What do we give him? You know, what's our dowry? Uh, What do we give him? We give him sin. He takes our sin. And the Bible is clear about that. That Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was righteous, we were unrighteous to bring us to God. He takes our sin and for a lot of people and for a long time as early in my Christian life, that's what I thought the gospel was. But if you think about it, that kind of leaves us in, in neutral, doesn't it? But the gospel is so much better than that. The good news is so much better. Justification is so much better. It's not that we are just not guilty. That's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is that everything that Christ has, everything that he is, all his perfect merit comes to us. So the Bible talks about righteousness. So we get his perfect record. It's kind of like if you imagine at school, uh, you're sitting there in a maths test, pulling out your hair. Maybe this was you, maybe not. Maybe a bit of imagination is necessary. You're looking at it and going, I've failed this hopelessly. 
And then Jesus walks in and gives you his test, 100%, perfect mark, and writes your name on the top. And does it for everyone who has faith in him. His perfect record is yours. That is what scripture teaches us. He takes our sin, we take his righteousness. That's the first of our foundations. What's next? This is what we looked at last week. The technical term is sanctification. But I like this. It's a promise that says you are delivered. Because the Bible tells us that before we came to Christ, we were enslaved. We were prisoners of sin and death and evil. And Jesus has set us free. Now, when does this happen? It happens once when Christ died. And then it happens in an ongoing way throughout our life. Let me illustrate this. Is any historians here? Can anyone tell me the day the war ended? Second World War. What, what, what day? It's my birthday, by the way, so you better know. Not the year, but the day and the month. <laughs> okay. For those non-historians, all of you, the war ended in Europe on the 8th of May, my birthday. Okay, thank you. Uh, 1945. But I think you could make a very real case that the war was won, not on the 8th of May, but on this day, the 6th of June, 1944, where the Allied forces landed at Normandy, D-Day. And at that point, that was the decisive victory. And what happened for the next 11 months was the prosecution, was the rolling out of that victory. And so let me use the illustration. Jesus' death and resurrection is D-Day. That is the victory that is won. And what happens in our life when we come to faith is sin's power has been broken. And then what happens is it gets rolled out over the rest of our life as the victory that was won on the cross gets applied and our life becomes more and more like Christ. That's sanctification. You are delivered. Now, that's the introduction. Okay, let's go on. Point two, this is our third foundation. So our first one, you are accepted. Our second one, you are delivered. Our third one, you are not alone. How does this victory of Christ transform our lives? How does this victory of Christ, this death and resurrection, change us in the here and in the now? Well, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Now, I want to um, just step back a little bit from the sermon. For those of you who know Trinity Churches, you're at Trinity Church Brighton. We're not churches, I think somewhat unfairly people think this, but they would say that we're not churches that talk very much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and for some of you, you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, it's about time we had a sermon on the Holy Spirit, Cameron. For some of you, you're not thinking that at all because you don't have that background. But maybe you're here as well, and, and your particular background is one that you're a little uneasy talking about the Holy Spirit. And can I say, that was my background. 
people used to joke about the church uh, that I grew up in. And they used to say that they believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Uh, that, was, that was one. Or, or that we were binitarian, uh, that we kind of just left the Holy Spirit off. A bit harsh, can I say, to be fair to the pastors who were there. Uh, but sometimes, if you've grown up in that environment, and you've seen the very real abuses that are done in the name of the Holy Spirit, crazy stuff. Stuff that is so far away from the scriptures. The problem is, I think, is that our tendency can be to run a mile in the other direction. We can say, these people have got it wrong over here, so I need to go and stand in the kitchen. Uh, and we're so far away from it. And can I say, that's, that's possibly where I've been in the past. But can I say, I think that's actually fairly unhelpful. Because the Bible teaches us that the, the Godhead... The one God, three persons, equal in power and in dignity, equal in glory and authority, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We can't cut the Holy Spirit off and still have a flourishing Christian life. So if that's you, if you're a bit like me, uh, particularly where I was, lighten up a bit, get with it. If you're thinking about time, okay, yeah, work with me and come up and talk to me afterwards. Uh, I found a great quote. This is a guy talking about, uh, he says, uh, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and a wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof. The husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence and celebrate their relationship with her. Sometimes... I think that has been true of me. Hopefully not in my marriage, but in my relationship to the Holy Spirit. If that's you, hopefully this morning is a helpful step in the right direction. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. John 14 to 16 is a key part of that. Okay, key part of Jesus' teaching about the Spirit. And I've got, because I like alliteration as a preacher, I've got three Ps for you. I've got the presence of God, the power of God and the peace of God. We're going to spend more on the power, but let's dive in. Jesus in John 14 that Rick read for us, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night before he goes to the cross. He's speaking to his disciples just a number of weeks before he ascends to the Father and he is no longer physically with, him, with them after the resurrection. He's speaking of a time where they will go on in their life in God without Jesus being physically present. And he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus said a little bit later, verse 23, anyone who, comes, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. So here you have Jesus saying, I'm going to be with you. The Father's going to be with you. And how does that happen? Because Jesus has ascended. The Father is in heaven. It's because the Father has sent the Spirit 
the third person of the Trinity, to dwell in the life of those who have trusted in Christ. How do we experience that? When we talk about God's presence, how do we experience that? Now, uh, moving a little bit away and being a little bit reflective on experience more than necessarily the clear teaching of Scripture. Can I say, as I've worked with Christians throughout decades in ministry, it's very subjective. Some people have an incredible sense of God's presence with them. Others, possibly people like me and maybe like you, if you're more rational, you're not plugged into that kind of intuitive, uh, emotional side of yourself. You experience the Spirit in different ways. How have I experienced the Spirit? Growing conviction. Conviction about things I should do. Conviction about things I shouldn't do. A growing trust in his word. A growing passion to see God served amongst his people and in the world. How do I see the spirit at work? I see the spirit taking me deeper into the assurance, the trust that I am accepted, that I am delivered. I see the Spirit taking me deeper into what Christ has made possible for me. Do I get goosebumps? Yes, sometimes. You know, I was at a conference yesterday and there's a percussionist, there was a great band and there's a wonderful percussionist and he's got one of those little things, uh, hollow like, like a hollow little bells that he just... When he does that, I get goosebumps. Now, is that the Holy Spirit? Well, it could be, I suppose. But the Bible doesn't say when you experience the Holy Spirit, you're going to get goosebumps. What the Bible does tell us is the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so when I'm growing in holiness, the Spirit is at work. The Bible tells me that the Spirit will convict his people and convict the world about sin, judgment and righteousness. When I find myself convicted about sin, that's the Spirit at work. The Bible tells me that God's spirit will take me deeper into God's word, that he will reveal it to me. He will explain it to me when I get new insights into scripture. That's God at work. We must go to scripture to interpret experience. We don't want to say the spirit doesn't work, but we can't concoct ideas and say, oh, that must be the spirit because it was a bit weird. No, it just might be something that's just a bit weird. But when we can go to Scripture and say, this is what God tells us the Spirit will do, and when I see that in my life and in the life of others, I can say the Spirit is alive and well. Does that equate to an emotional experience? Well, it might for you. It hasn't for me. But do I doubt that the Spirit lives in me? Not for a second. Not for a second. The presence the power. The Spirit gives us power to live for God. Jesus says this. He says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've sent you. He's going to send the Spirit into our life, and he calls this Spirit the Advocate, now, it depends on the translation you've got. Some of you might have uh, comforter. Some of you might have counsellor. Some of you, if you're really techie with your translation, you might have paraclete, 
which is just a, uh, an English form of the Greek word that was there. There's lots of argument about what this means, but it's pretty obvious. The word actually just means the one who is called alongside, the helper, the one who's come alongside to speak for you. It had a, a legal frame, so it was like a lawyer. That's why they go down the idea of an advocate, someone who speaks for you. But the meaning is broader because the Spirit just doesn't speak for us. He does. He intercedes for us with the Father. He speaks to the Father for us. He works in our prayers, translating them. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us, Romans 8 tells us, with groans that words cannot express. He does speak for us. But he also here, Jesus tells us, speaks to us. He teaches us all things. He reminds us of everything that the Lord Jesus told us. He takes the words of scripture, the God-breathed words, and takes us deeper into them. He doesn't give us new words. He doesn't contradict himself. But he gives us greater insight. He teaches us what it means to live in the here and the now as we prayerfully and humbly reflect on God's word. The Bible is the ultimate authority, but the Bible is the sword of the spirit. And it is the spirit who takes us into that and gives us, gives us the power to change. Jesus uses some other names for him. In chapter 4, verse 17, he calls the spirit the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth, the spirit that truly relates us to God, the spirit that takes us into God's truth, linked essentially to the word. Jesus tells us that love for him means obedience to him. And it is the spirit that takes us into that word so that we might understand and obey. In 1426, he calls it the Holy Spirit, the spirit that produces holiness in our lives. One of the slogans I find really helpful to remind me of the work of the spirit is this. What Jesus made possible for me to be a child of God, for me to be forgiven, for me to be transformed. What Jesus' death and resurrection achieved, what Jesus makes possible, the Holy Spirit makes actual. So the faith, faith itself doesn't have power. Faith is the hands that reach out to be filled and it is the Spirit that fills us. And he fills us with the perfect, finished work of Christ. He applies that victory in our life. Our life is transformed. We find the power in the Spirit because the Spirit takes the victory of Christ and gives it to us. And he equips us for ministry. A little bit later on, in John 15, we read these words. When the advocate the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, whatever word you want, comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify. 
He will bear witness to me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit testifies as we testify. I'd honestly say, I've never converted anyone in my entire ministry. Have anyone been converted under my ministry? Yes. Yes, they have. But it's beyond my power, it's beyond your power to convert anyone. It is the Spirit's work. It is the Spirit John teaches, or Jesus teaches us in John 16 who convicts the world about sin, righteousness and judgment. It is the Spirit that empowers our ministry. We bear witness, but the Spirit testifies. It is His work that we are involved in. And in that ministry, the Spirit gives gifts. We're familiar with the terms of of spiritual gifts, and we're not going to spend time on them this morning. You can go and read them up in uh, the book of Corinthians. There's a couple of chapters, 11 and 14, talk quite extensively about those. Uh, But let me say, I think we can be unhealthily obsessed with gifts. The number one thing that we should crave that the Spirit is working in our life It's not gifts, but fruit. The love, the joy, the faith, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, the self-control, the character of Christ. We should beg that the Spirit give us the fruit of the Spirit. And then we should be open to receive whatever gifts He chooses to give us so that we might serve Him. I kind of, when I was thinking about this, I used to do tech at school, okay, and in year seven, uh, you barely know uh, the right tool for anything, okay, so there's a picture for you, you've got the hammer and the screw, uh, and you've got the the spanner on the nail, Uh, I think it's a bit like the year seven kid going up to tech teacher and saying, uh, this is the right tool for the job, it's the Holy Spirit's ministry it's, it's the work of the Father, Son and Spirit. And we say, and this is what we need to do it. Might he not know better? Perhaps we should go to him and say, I want to serve you. I want to honour you. Give me what is necessary to make that happen. And I've seen that happen in my life. I've seen that happen. I moved into a, a church. I was the only pastor there was loads of opportunities to evangelize. And I'm not someone who uh, previously had been thought of as much of an evangelist. It's something that I kind of struggled with to get out there, to speak to people who didn't know Christ and to help them understand, to help them put their trust in Christ. But I did pray that God would equip me for everything I needed in that place. And we saw more people come to Christ in that church than I'd seen in a long, long time before or since. It's not me. And it was not just the others in the church. It was the Spirit giving what was necessary to see that work done. So as you think about the year and as you think about serving God, would you be open to the Spirit gifting you in the way that He directs so that you might serve Him in his ministry, for his glory. Presence, power, peace. Jesus assures us, peace I leave with you. 
He links that in at the end of a teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I think it is the Spirit who gives us the peace of Christ as he comes and comforts us with the comfort of Christ and assures us of the love of God that is available to us in Christ. That's most of it. Let me talk a few things. Some implications. Brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Christ, the spirit is alive and well in you. And you can have confidence. He doesn't leave you as an orphan. He doesn't leave you with an empty toolbox and say, build the kingdom. He gives you what you need. And he is at work in you and through you at that point. He has not left us without resources. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 that we have divine power to demolish strongholds. When we face opposition, the spirit in us is stronger than the spirit that is in the world. But it's his spirit, not our strength. We can have confidence. When we face our own life, 2 Peter Peter 1 verse 3 tells us that we have everything we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You have no lack. You are not alone. You can have confidence, but you need to be dependent. Because the power is not ours, because the strength and the gifts are not ours, we need to be dependent upon God in prayer. Humble, thankful, and dependent. So what does it mean? How do we craft this well-founded life? Let me give you a few things, like my three Ps, presence, power, and peace. I'm going to give you four R's, okay? I could give you a fifth as well if you'd like. I think the first thing, and if you're like me, you need to recognize the Spirit. You need to actually recognize that God is at work amongst you by His Spirit. I think sometimes, if you've come out of a background like mine, you get blinkers. Anything that looks a little bit like the Spirit, you just don't want to see it. Brother or sister, my second R is repent. Because you're, you're cutting off one of the members of the Trinity. And you can't do that. Recognize the Spirit is at work in your life. What's your language? Sometimes I moved in circles where you kind of censured the Holy Spirit out of your language. Don't do that. Rejoice in the Spirit. Another R for you, but recognize him. Have the biblical balance. Don't go off in the crazy realm that some people want to go in. Go to the scriptures and say, what does the Bible tell me about what the spirit will do? About what his character is like? He tells me that his gifts build the church. What am I seeing here? Is it building the church? It is. It must be from him. Is it distracting from that? Well, no, I can't call that a spiritual gift. We recognize the spirit's work we revere him he with the father and the son is worshipped and glorified he is our teacher our guide the one that makes us holy the one that gives us assurance the one who helps us in prayer he directs and empowers our witness we should honor him Not ignore him. 
we need to be careful. For some of you, maybe you think, I'm a spirit person. Don't be a spirit person. For some of you, like me, I'm a Jesus person. Don't be a Jesus person. Don't be a father person. I haven't heard many of those. You know, be a Trinity person. Be a father, son, and spirit person. Revere the spirit because he with the father and the son is worshipped and glorified. Rely upon him. Prayerfully seek his help. Ask him to do what the scriptures promise. He will guide us and teach us. Open his word. Ask that the spirit who inspired that word would reveal that word to us in our hearts. Would teach us how to live it in the here and the now. Ask that the spirit would remind us and take us deeper into the promises of God. Ask for the spirit's help to overcome sin and discouragement. Ask for the Spirit's empowering to serve God and his people. We don't do it in our strength. We can't do it in our strength. We must do it in his. And that is abundantly available. We recognize, we revere, we rely, and we rejoice. What a privilege. Do those words that Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Father will come to you. We will send the Spirit to you. We have the Spirit of the living God living in our lives. We are not orphans. And that Spirit testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Rejoice. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have. What an amazing thing that you and your son by your spirit would come and dwell in our hearts. That he would take the victory of Calvary and apply it transforming our lives, bringing dead stones to living hearts, changing us that we are more and more like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to see his work, to rely on his work, to rejoice in his work, to revere Father, Son and Spirit, equally God, equally eternal, equally powerful. Father, we do pray that we would have such a strong conviction that we are not only accepted, that we are not only delivered, but that you are living in us by your spirit and you give us everything we need through him. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.